Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love towards us. Oh, it's just so amazing to think that the God of the universe actually loves us. And so this morning, we just pray that you'll just speak to our hearts and just encourage us to be hard out for you. We just pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I must admit, it's great to be home. There is no place like New Zealand. And thanks so much for praying for Penny and I and supporting us. Um, we, we couldn't have done what we did without you guys um, praying for us. And I've been on dozens and dozens of missions trips over the years, but uh, this last trip would have been one of the more impacting uh, trips that I've been on. Our, our time with uh, Steiger Missionaries um, was really the most productive time that we've, we've had yet. Uh, Penny and I did a lot of marriage counselling. Uh, we prayed for Steiger team members. Uh, we took marriage seminar, took a avoiding burnout seminar. So we were really, really, really busy. But uh, um, Steiger do an absolutely amazing goal. I mean, their job is to reach the uh, global youth. Hey, could you just flick that on? No, oh, it's all right. Hand, it's helpful to turn this on, isn't it? Ah, that's better. Okay. So uh, Steiger uh, aimed to reach global youth. The majority of church evangelistic efforts goes into reaching people who are sympathetic. So we as a church, we, we, tend, to, uh, we tend to be reaching this group here, somewhere, somewhere here. Whereas um, Steiger, they aim typically at this group, and the, uh, especially uh, with respect to the, the global youth. And uh, what they do is uh, they raise up missionaries, they equip the local church to proclaim uh, Jesus in the language of the global youth culture, and they establish long-term teams and cities for evangelism, uh, discipleship, uh, they link in with the local church, and by the end of the year, uh, they will have over 100 missionaries serving in 20 nations. That doesn't mean team members, because they would have um, another two, 300 team members. This is just the missionaries, just those ones who are full-time. Uh, and last year, Steiger saw over 10,000 responses to their older calls to accept Jesus Christ. So they're doing an absolutely amazing job. Uh, they rely on churches like us to support and partner with them. And they can't do what they're called to do unless we do what we're asked to do. And so I want to just encourage you to keep on praying. Uh, pray for Steiger. Pray for all of our missionaries on a regular basis. And uh, if you can, uh, get a vision for giving into uh, world missions, because it is money so, so, so well well spent. So after our time with uh, Steiger, seeing we were already in Europe, we uh, decided to take a couple of weeks off, and uh, Penny and I took a holiday, and we went on a bus trip uh, between Rome and Paris. And so we, over the years, I mean, we've seen some, of, some amazing cathedrals, in, uh, in Europe, some amazing structures, uh, some built by kings or popes to show off their own importance. For instance, um, St. Peter's Basilica, 
if you have a look down the centre of St Peter's Basilica, I don't know whether it's a... No. Well, I'll go back on that. No, I have... Oh, yeah, that one there. Okay, there is a, um, there's, there's a red strip down the centre there, and on it are marked the lengths of the other smaller cathedrals <laughs> in Europe. So you can imagine why that's there uh, to show off. And actually, um, that, that next one that I had, that, that's, that's what uh, the Sistine Chapel used to look like before they restored it. And so they just thought that Michelangelo painted in, um, in dark colours. And uh, this is what it was like after they restored it. But uh, interesting, the restorers um, have left two patches. There's a black patch there, and there's a black patch there, which they've left unrestored to show people what it was like. So can you see that, uh, that patch there? Yeah. So absolutely, absolutely incredible. So that's the place that um, the, the Catholics vote for the new Pope, the Sistine Chapel. But of course, there's, um, there's heaps and heaps of places. Um, I think that's St. Mark's Square in Venice. Uh, the burnt out um, Notre Dame. And uh, absolutely incredible. And they, they say it's going to cost a billion dollars to uh, rebuild uh, that. And they've already got the money for it. And so you, you just see churches all over Europe which are mainly built for the glory of God. And uh, these buildings took generations to build. Some took 140 years while some of the smaller churches, you can walk in there and you just sense the presence of God. There was one church in uh, Dresden, that uh, not in Dresden, in Meissen, which is the centre of European porcelain making that we went into. And we just sat down in it and you, you could sense God's presence. And you just knew that there was a believing, praying congregation there. But <clears throat> most of the larger buildings while they are absolutely awe-inspiring in their architect, architecture. You've just got to be there to, to see the structures. They are absolutely amazing. But the reality is today they are little more than empty edifices. They're little more than tourist traps. So the question that I had in standing in some of these places was how does a church community drift from being the very, very centre of city life uh, to becoming empty and powerless and godless? How, I mean, how does that happen? How does that happen when uh, generations spend their all to build something to the glory of God and then... Today, we see them being nothing more than tourist structures. It's not a new phenomenon. It's <clears throat> been happening since the church was in its infancy. And, and actually, the same thing happens to you and I if we're, if we're not careful as well. Uh, that's why I wanted to talk this morning about staying hot in a cold world. Because as the people of God, we're not called to blend into our surroundings. We're not called to look pretty. 
Uh, we're called to stand up and stand out and be change agents. We're called to be people who will impact the world that we live in. We're described by Jesus as being salt and we're described by Jesus as being light. And these are elements that, that their whole purpose is to make a difference. And we're not only called the people of God and the church of God, but we're called the army of God. And as such, we're on a mission. We're on a mission to know Jesus and make him known. We're on a mission to change the city, to impact our world. Um, we're trying to reach New Zealand and beyond. But the greatest enemy and the greatest adversary of the kingdom of God is not necessarily the enemy outside, but it's the enemy within. It's the indifferent and complacent Christian who has lost their influence and settled for mediocrity and the status quo in their life that does the most damage to the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus described the fate of such a person in his letter to the church in the city of Laodicea. Those of you who are students of the world will know that this is the last. This is the seventh letter to the churches of Asia Minor found in uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation. And of all the cities of Asia, this city was perhaps the most renowned of its day. It was the richest city in Asia Minor. <clears throat> there were more millionaires in Laodicea than in any other city of the region. In fact, the city was so rich that when it was destroyed by an earthquake in AD 60, its citizens completely rebuilt the city without any government assistance whatsoever. It was the major center for banking and commerce in the region. It had a medical school that produced a famous eye ointment that gave relief to thousands. It had a thriving commercial center that was especially famous for the fine black wool garments that it produced. And, and life was really, really comfortable in Laodicea, except for one area, the water supply. Uh, there, the people of their day saw the potential in a steaming, hot, mineral water field some 10 kilometers away from the city. So they built a stone aquifer one meter in diameter, that's about that diameter, and they piped the steaming hot water to the city. The only problem was that because of the distance that it had to travel, by the time the water reached the city, it was too cold for bathing in, and it was too hot for drinking. And so it was lukewarm. It was useless for everything but cleaning out the toilets. And this must have been so frustrating for them. But this is the background to the city where Jesus sends this letter. And dispensational scholars have suggested that this letter describes the condition of the end-time church, the, the church of today. So we're going to read it now from Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14. And it says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. 
do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and slav to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here was a people with great resources that were living in a comfortable environment that had just become lukewarm towards God. Instead of the church impacting the city, the city was impacting the church. Instead of the spiritual temperature in the city being raised, the temperature in the church had been lowered. Uh, There was no great sin of idolatry. There was no great sin of sexual immorality or lying or cheating. Uh, Many of those are mentioned in uh, Jesus' letter to the other churches. But here... They had become complacent and indifferent, just lukewarm and mediocre. And God says he was going to spew them out of his mouth. Wow. So if you were to rate your relationship with the Lord this morning between 0 and 10, I wonder where you put yourself. Because I think zero to three would be cold, seven to ten would be hot, so anywhere in between would be lukewarm. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge. See, I want to be the kind of person that God views as being hot, not lukewarm. So I thought of some of the characteristics of someone who was hot towards God. So Ever think, what, what would you think would be the characteristics of someone who's hot towards God? These are some of the ones that, um, that I put in. Uh, firstly, I, I put someone who's hot towards God would be dependent on God and put Jesus first in their decision making. They wouldn't be <coughs> independent. Okay? The, their faith would be reflected in their lifestyle and not just what they say. Uh, when my boys were younger, they used to like a group called DC Talk. And the uh, lead singer of DC Talk said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Great quote, great quote. Third thing I thought, uh, someone who is hot towards God uh, would have a current, growing up-to-date relationship with Jesus. Uh, Someone who is hot towards God would have a growing evidence of the fruit of the character of Jesus in their lives. And there would be an overflow of the Spirit in their lives. I think if we are full of the Holy Spirit, then there will be an overflow of that Spirit. In fact, uh, Jesus said, out of our bellies, speaking of the Spirit, there will be rivers of living water. Rivers. I think... Some of us settled for a a little drip here and there. But Jesus said there was going to be rivers. Uh, One of our life groups, uh, I heard the other day, is so excited about what Jesus has done in answering prayer that they have asked permission to pray for people down in the town center. That's an overflow. You've got to express it. I remember when I first um, got 
uh, saved and baptised in the Holy Spirit. The first holidays that I went home, I talked to my mum and dad and then um, tried to get them saved. And then I talked to the local Presbyterian minister and tried to get him saved. He was already saved. (laughs) But uh, I was just so enthusiastic. I wanted to talk to everyone. And and that that doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Uh, when you're at work, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. When you're on holiday, I'm standing in St. Peter's Basilica, the, the local guide who has just done a fantastic exposition and history of the, of the place, uh, was standing there, and um, the rest of the 30 team members had started to disperse to go and look at various bits and pieces for themselves. And I, I turned to our local guide, and I said, so do you have a faith? And he looked at me, it was very non-threatening, and he said, well, he said, my partner is a Catholic, and she drags me along to some of these Catholic things. <laughs> he said, but, but I personally don't have a faith. So I began to share with him my journey. I shared with him how I was brought up. A Christian, but when I went to university, how I got um, healed by the power of God, uh, how it turned my world upside down, and I was able to share. And I was able to say to him, Hey, if you want to know whether God is real, just pray and just ask Him to reveal Himself to you, and He will. Doesn't matter where you are. If, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, there will be an overflow. And God will give you opportunities where you can share his love and acceptance and forgiveness uh, for people around about you. People who are hot for God love the things that Jesus loves. Uh, their focus is not just on this life, but it's also on eternity. So the question is, how does a Christian get lukewarm? How does anything get lukewarm? The answer is, do nothing. Just, just do nothing. If something is hot and you do nothing, it'll get cold. It'll get cold. So if we're going to stay hot for God, we need to work at it. Doing nothing produces lukewarmness. So how can we stay hot in a cold world? Well, first of all, surrender yourself completely to God and his plans and purposes for your life. And you might say, well, I did that 40 years ago. But this is something that we do on a regular basis. This is something that we remind ourselves of. This is is something that sets ourselves, and it's for our own benefit, not necessarily for God's benefit, that we come and surrender fresh on a regular basis to him. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to surrender your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God isn't asking us to do something that is to our detriment or something that's impossible. His plans for our lives are good. His plans for our lives are pleasing. In fact, his plans for our life are absolutely perfect. But for us to come into that, 
We've got to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to putting God first in our lives and investing our time, our talents and resources into his kingdom. A lukewarm person has a half-hearted commitment to the purposes and plans of God. It's like trying to straddle a barbed wire fence. If you stay in the middle, you're going to get hurt. You need to be on one side or the other. You need to decide who you're living for. It's what Joshua said. He said, as for me and my uh, house, we're going to serve the Lord. He said to Israel, hey, you choose. You know, you can serve these other gods or you can serve God. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The sad thing is for people who don't decide to go 100%, they're miserable. They can't enjoy the sins of the world, because they've still got a bit of a con- conscience, and they can't enjoy the, the benefits of being wholly committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So choose where you want to be. Everything flows from decision. You decide what's important and what you'll be committed to, but decide to follow Jesus. Betty, Briley, how long have you been a Christian? 1959, what's that? 60 years. 60 years a Christian, and I guarantee that you've never, ever regretted that. No. And anyone who's lived any time with the Lord will tell you it's the best decision that they've ever made. You may be thinking, what difference can one person make? D.L. Mooney said, I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything but I can do something, and that which I can do, by the grace of God, I will do. And with that simple commitment and determination, that man changed the moral climate in two nations, in England and the United States. In fact, uh, D.L. Moody was one of those string of um, revivalists who led eventually to the salvation of Billy Graham one of the greatest evangelists uh, of our era. What is needed today is men and women of commitment, of courage, of conviction, of character, who are willing to put God and his plans and purposes first in their lives. The amazing thing is you don't have to be perfect to make a difference. In fact, in Corinthians it says (coughs) that we're clay. It says... We ha- but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so the excellency of the power may be seen to be of God and not of us. And that's so important to recognize that God wants to shine through you. You don't have to be perfect for that. You just have to be surrendered. Who knows what God will do in you or through you if you will commit yourself to him. And that's why I am always incredibly inspired by the team at Steiger when I go over there because these young people are just so 100% sold out for Jesus Christ and they will just do anything to start conversations about God and his love and his plan and purpose for people's lives. So, Surrender yourself to the Lord. Secondly, 
regularly set aside time to be alone with God. The big failure of the church of Laodicea is that they were self-sufficient rather than God-dependent. Dependency on God flows out of a relationship with God. And a relationship with God is built on time spent with God. Uh, If you show me any person who is hot for God, they'll be a person who has ordered their priorities so they spend regular time with God and regular time reading His Word. Regular time with God, regular time reading the Word is like stoking the fire. If you don't stoke it, or if you try and stoke it once a week, that fire is going to go out. But as you regularly, regularly, regularly spend time in God's presence, regularly spend time reading His Word, you'll find that that will fuel the Spirit of God inside. And sometimes that time is just in the middle of things going wrong at work, and you say, God, I desperately need your help. I need your wisdom in this situation. What do I do? Don't you think the king of the universe who made everything knows exactly what you should be doing? Don't you think he knows the outcome of the problem that you're facing? We just need to tap into that. We just need to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. We just need to go with what the Spirit is wanting to, uh, us to go with. We can't understand everything, but God does. And that's why Jer- Jeremiah says, in chapter 9 and verse 23, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. One of the greatest church ministries of the last decade was Yongi Cho's church in Korea. And I remember uh, Cho at a seminar in Auckland uh, saying to the pastors at that seminar, he said, you know, he said, the, the busier I get, the more I pray. And that is probably the opposite to what most of us do. When we really, really get busy, A lot of us cut back on our prayer. But Cho says, hey, no, the the busier I am, the more I have to pray. Because it's out of that prayer that things will function, things will flow, uh, things will be ordered in my busy times. And so that's been a continual challenge for me. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as evil. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We need to see things from God's perspective. And we don't just need a vision. We need God-given vision. We don't just need uh, good ideas. We need God ideas. And that vision and those ideas come out of our relationship with him, which is built in the time that we spend with him. And 
time spent reading his word. When you study the word of God, you find that most of the great men and women received direction and vision for their lives when they were alone with God because it's there that they began to see things as he sees things. So the third thing that I I see that uh, helps us stay and build up strength and relationship and um, makes us hot for God is that people who are hot for God want to make a difference. It's something that just comes out. So because we want to make a difference, we invest our time and our talents and our resources in the kingdom of God. So anything that God gives us, we invest in the kingdom. What really matters in our lives? Well, if it's something that matters, invest it in God's kingdom. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first thing that uh, the guys did in preparation for doing the roof was they started taking off all the air conditioning units. And some of them are quite old. And some of the frames on some of the air conditioning units are had it. Why? Because if you leave something long enough, if it's metal, it'll rust. Things break down. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, is when you invest in his kingdom, those things are good investments. They're not things that are going to break down. Where your heart is, sorry, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. The problem with the Laodiceans was not that they were rich. The problem was that they were not rich towards God. And God wants to bless us. He wants to provide for us. He wants us to have an overflow so that we can be a blessing to others. But to do that, we've got to start and sow. Because as we sow, that's what we're going to reap. Every one of us has been given time and talents and resources. And it's not how much that we've been given that counts. It's what we do with them. So I want to encourage you to invest your time, your talent, and your resources into building the kingdom of God and impacting people for eternity. And lastly, encourage each other to stay hot for God. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. I, I always find that as I encourage and challenge others, that I am encouraged and challenged also. And every one of us has got something to give. Every one of us can encourage people. Every one of us can challenge people out of a loving relationship. Uh, The local church should be a hotbed of God's love, should be a hotbed of God's acceptance. It should be a hotbed of God's forgiveness. It should be the place where we are challenged to live godly lives, to fulfill God's visions, to be great people of God, and to do great things for God. I always think that when I'm ministering the Word of God, if I'm not challenging you 
to be better Christians, if I'm not challenging you to take the next step, then we're missing out on something. We gather together so that we can encourage one another towards love and good works. Every one of us can make a difference in people's lives for eternity. And together, as we share our dreams and work together, I'm convinced that we can just make a huge, huge difference. If we are lukewarm, we deserve to be vomited out of God's mouth. That's pretty sad. And I guarantee there's not a person here that at some stage hasn't been lukewarm in their life. But being vomited out of God's mouth is not God's heart for us. I was a bit naughty. I didn't read the end of the end of the message. I didn't read the end of the letter. Jesus said, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Let's have the musicians, please. You know, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his grace. I guarantee that most of us here would have said, oh, yeah, I'm six or seven maybe towards God. God's heart towards us is that we would be nine or ten. And he says, despite our indifference, despite our balanced mediocrity, despite all those things that deserve to be spewed out of God's mouth, he says, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. If you'll just open that door, I'll come in and I'll eat with you. It's interesting that in in that, um, if you just go back to that last um, slide there, it's probably a little bit dark, but uh, this is Holman Hunt's picture of the light of the world. Uh, Penny and I have seen it. In London, the interesting thing is that when you get up close to this, and it's a, it's a really tall, it's a really tall painting, but there's no handle on that door. You can't open it from the outside. It has to be opened from the inside. And I think he's captured the essence of that verse by that small detail. that we've got to be the ones who will open that door. He's not going to bash it down. 
he's just going to he's just going to be sad over it the one verse that Jesus said he wept was when he was standing looking at Jerusalem that says Jesus wept because Jerusalem missed their time of visitation they missed it people God is drawing us afresh to himself he wants us to be hot for him but he doesn't want us to miss the plans and the purposes and the things that he has for us and the things that he has for others through us Hear the voice of the Lord. Hear what the Holy Spirit is saying today.